Good morning. So I have a picture that I want to show you guys. Um, this is from 2010 in August, so it's been almost 11 years. A uh, mine in the country of Chile collapsed. I don't know if you guys remember this story. Uh, trapped, they were uh, 33 miners that were trapped. Uh, they were trapped approximately 2,300 miles below, uh, 2,300 feet, not miles. 2,300 feet, that'd be, yeah. 2,300 feet below the surface, and they were trapped for 69 days. Um, and thankfully, all the miners, amazing, amazingly, they, all the miners survived. Uh, now, these miners, they went down into the mine every day. This is something very common. You know, they go down there, they do their work, and then they come up at the, at the end of the day. So no matter how deep in the mountain they were, they always knew they were going to, at the end of the day, they're going to come back to the, to, the, to the surface, to the top. Uh, however, on this day, on August 5th, 2010, um, they wouldn't come back up. It would be almost 69, uh, it would be almost two over two months before they saw the light of day. Uh, I can't even imagine what that uh, would have been like. Uh, the series that Pastor Greg has been preaching on is entitled Hope in the Dark. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, there's somewhat of a stigma around the whole concept of mental illness. Uh, you can talk about emotions, you can talk about uh, emotional health. But there's a stigma around uh, the concept of mental illness. Uh, long before, however, long before Sigmund Freud, who's considered to be the father of modern psychology, the Bible talked about emotions. The Bible talked about uh, anger. The Bible talk, talks about anger, sadness, fear, and anxiety. Everyone in this room has experienced these emotions. They're not, they're not uncommon. Uh, and maybe for some of you, it was a week, it was a few days, and then the emotion passed and you went back to normal, right? Um, like the miners, going down to the bottom, but then coming back up. Um, unfortunately, some of us here uh, know what it's like to get stuck in those negative emotions. And some of you here even today may be stuck or watching on YouTube or stuck in these negative emotions. And we've been stuck for so long that we're starting to lose hope. Uh, I want to start by reading from Psalm 43. And the scripture uh, is on the screen. Psalm 43 verse 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I like the title of the, of the series that Pastor preached, um, Hope in the Darkness, because as Christians, we can have hope in the darkest of times. Um, but if you're feeling hopeless... How can you and I, how can we find hope? Well, the psalmist says right there, put your hope in God. Uh, now, there are a lot of things you can put your hope in, and doctors, and counselors, and your, 
and, and your friends or whatever, but ultimately we need to put our hope in God. In Romans 15, 13, this is not on the screen, the Apostle Paul says that God is the God of hope. God is the God of hope. He's the author and he's the giver of hope. Now, how does God give us hope? How does he give us this hope in the dark? Well, first of all, God shows us compassion. Number one, God shows us compassion. And there are two circumstances in which God shows us compassion when we are not, when we're feeling hopeless. The first is when we're experiencing pain from our choices. When we're experiencing pain from our choices. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture that I have, a painting. There's going to be some artwork today. <laughs> so I love this painting. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. I saw this a few years ago. This is Rembrandt's The Prodigal Son. And uh, it's kind of far away. Well, it looks better on, on probably from your angle. But it's a, it's a marvelous picture of the prodigal son. And if you're, you're not familiar with this story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize it for you. There's a father, and his youngest son comes to him and asks him for his inheritance, which was a very disrespectful thing to do. Now, this is, this is a story that Jesus told. It's a parable. And uh, the father gives him the inheritance. Well, once that young man has his, his money, he packs all his stuff, and he goes to a far, far country. And when he's there, he completely blows all of his money. Well, that wouldn't be so bad, but the country, <laughs> right, right at the time when he ran out of money, the country that he was in entered into a famine. And it says that the young man began to be in need. And no one, no one gave him anything. So he does, he, he does what any one of us would do. He goes looking for a job. But the only job he can find is a job feeding pigs, which to a Jewish boy, young man, was a very uh, abominable thing to do. You didn't do this uh, as a good Jewish young man. You didn't have anything to do with pigs. Well, not only that, this young man is so hungry that the food that he's feeding the pigs starts to look good to him. Well, I don't know if you know about pigs. Pigs relieve themselves in the same place that they eat. But that didn't concern the young man. He wanted to eat from what he was serving the pigs. And it says, in the script, Jesus said, that the young man came to his senses. And he realizes that at his father's house, the servants of his father live way better than he's living. So he goes and he says, I'm going to go back to my father. He's not expecting anything. He's going to beg. He's going to get on his knees. And he's going to ask his father for a job. He's going to say he's sorry. He's going to confess. And he just wants to please just give me a job. Well, the response that the young man got was not what he was expecting. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son 
and threw his arms around him and kissed him. He, he says his father saw him when he's a long way off. What does that mean? His father was waiting there. His father was looking for him. And once his father saw him, he ran to him. But why did he run to him? It says in the scripture right up there, it says he was filled with compassion. John MacArthur, Dr. John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church in California, says that phrase, filled with compassion, means to experience a deep, visceral uh, emotion and feeling, uh, gut-wrenching, a feeling in the pit of your stomach. I don't know if you ever, if you ever had that experience. Maybe you're a sick child. Maybe someone is injured. Maybe your pet is, not, is, is injured, and you feel this in, inside of you. This move, you're moved with compassion, and that's what this, this father felt. That's how God feels towards us. He shows us compassion. He, he shows us this deep sympathy, pity, and kindness when we are hurting. And even when the hurt is from our own mistakes and our own failures, he shows us this. You know, uh, when, you, when you were growing up and you made a mistake, I hope that your parents were like this father. And unfortunately, for many of us, that is not how our parents responded when we made a mistake. Um, and unfortunately, we sometimes think that that's how God is going to respond. So we don't go to God. Uh, that feeling of not being able to go to God, that will make you depressed. That will make you anxious. And uh, Jesus is saying here in this text that God loves us even when we have, we, even when we have made a mess of our lives, of our marriages, of our families, whatever we, he loves us and he will show us compassion. Now, you may be thinking, I thought God was holy. I thought God was this God of justice. I thought he punishes sin. Well, guess what? He is. So, oh, wait a second. You just said he was compassionate. Yes. Look at Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. This is written to the Israelites who were in exile because of their sin. But Isaiah the prophet says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. John Calvin, the great uh, theologian, says, Therefore the prophet says that the Lord will arise and ascend his judgment seat. Why? That he may be gracious to you. So you imagine, you're, you get convicted of a crime, or you, you get charged with a crime, and you're found guilty. And you're waiting for the judge to impose his sentence. And the judge, and you know, when the judge comes in the courtroom, everybody has to stand up, right? And the judge goes and rises up to the to his, uh, um, to his desk, I forget what it's called. What is that called? The bench, I'm sorry, thank you. He rises to the bench 
to give the sentence. And what is the sentence? You say, oh, guilty. No, not guilty. The sentence is mercy. Now that will give you hope. See, if you and I have placed our faith in Jesus, if we have trusted him to save us from our sins, he forgives us all of our sins, past, present, future. John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God shows us compassion when we are experiencing pain from our own choices. But then next, he shows us compassion when we're experiencing pain from circumstances beyond our control. So I'm going to read from, uh, from Exodus. But I want to uh, kind of give you a little background. The people of, of Israel had moved to Egypt because there was a famine in Canaan. And they were, their response initially was they were welcome, they, they, and they prospered, and they grew as a nation. They grew into a nation. But the Egyptians got scared. And they decided to, they were afraid that they were, if they were attacked by another country, that the Israelites would join the other country and turn against them. So they enslaved them for 400 years. So look what happens. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned. He was concerned about them. The pulpit commentary says that God regarded them. Literally, the the word means, and God knew, God knew. It says God kept the whole in his thoughts, bore in mind the sufferings, the wrongs, the hopes, the fears, the groans, the despair, the appeal to him, the fervent supplications in prayer. He knew all, remember all, counted every word inside, gathered the tears into his bottle, noted all things in his book, and for the present endured, kept silence, but was preparing for his foes a terrible vengeance and for his people a marvelous deliverance. What a powerful explanation of that scripture, that that applies to you and to me, that if we are experiencing pain and circumstances that we have Nothing to do with. It's not our fault. We didn't choose to to be abused. We didn't choose to be neglected. We didn't choose to to leave our spouse. We didn't choose anything. We didn't choose for somebody to die or for us to get a sickness. We didn't choose any of that. God sees, God knows, God cares, and he is going to move on your behalf. It might not be at the exact time that you would want to. I like what uh, Jeanette Cliff George says. God has, uh, uh, has never been late 
Although he's missed an opportunity to be early. <laughs> he's missed some opportunities to be early, right? But he, he may not be the exact time. It may not be the exact manner. But he will show compassion on you and me when we're experiencing pain from uh, circumstances beyond our control. Look at Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Uh, one of the commentators says Christ looks and he, his eyes see far more deeply and far more tenderly into the sorrow of the desolate, childless widow than any human eyes looked. And as swift as his perception of the sorrow, so swiftly does he throw himself into sympathy with it. The true human emotion of unmingled pity wells up in his heart and moves him to action. This morning you might be grieving. You may be grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a job. You're grieving a troubled marriage or a wandering child. You're grieving the loss of your health. God sees you. God sees you. He knows what you're going through. He cares about you. So God shows us compassion, and then God confronts us. Uh, first of all, God confronts us when we are living against our values. Let's have another painting. Uh, God confronts us when we are living against our values. This is a painting by a student of Rembrandt, and it's David and the prophet Nathan. Uh, why was Nathan uh, confronting, Nathan is confronting David. Why was he confronting him? Very simply, King David, the man who's called a man after God's own heart, David who killed the giant, David who became king, he committed adultery. And when the woman he was involved with got pregnant, he came up with a scheme to make it appear that the woman was pregnant from her husband. And when that didn't work, he had the husband killed. And it sounds like an episode of The Sopranos, right? Wow. Uh, look at what 2 Samuel 11.27 says. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Um, uh, I say this, not bragging, but I never got a spanking growing up. And some people say, that's your problem here. That's what's the matter with you. You should have gotten a spanking. But it, all it took was a look. Because believe me, I, one look and I knew 
that my father or my mother were displeased. Well, here it says God was displeased. He was not happy with what David had done. Look what 2 Samuel 12.1 says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. So I'm a therapist, um, a marriage and family therapist. I've been practicing almost 17 years. And one of the things that I've learned is confrontation is a necessary part of therapy. But I've also learned you cannot confront people head on. Uh, you might not last very long. They might not last very long as a, as a uh, client. You can't say to someone, you're an idiot. Even though you might really think that what they've done is pretty stupid. Nathan the prophet was also wise. So he, pro- he approaches the king in a humble manner and he shares a story. It's a story about a wealthy man, had a lot of sheep, and the man has a friend visit. And uh, instead of taking a sheep from his flock, he goes to a local neighbor who had a sheep, who had one sheep. Now this sheep was not like a regular sheep. This sheep was really was domesticated. It was a pet. The kids played with it. The, the man he fell asleep in the father's arms and he fed, they fed it. This was a member of the family. The man, the rich man, took the lamb and killed it. Scripture says that the lamb was like a daughter to the man. If you have a pet, you don't think that's so weird. <laughs> you know what that's like, to love your pet that much. Well, guess when David hears this story, 2 Samuel 12, 5 through 7. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David said, You are the man. You know, I don't know, uh, um, I don't have to tell you, I don't have the time to tell you what David's like, what life was like before the prophet confronted him. Uh, If you want to read about it, you can read Psalm 51. But I think David was very troubled. You cannot have an intimate relationship with God, do something wrong, and not be bothered by it. He was troubled. He was racked with guilt. It affected him physically and emotionally. I personally would characterize him as clinically depressed. Why was he depressed? Because he was a man after God's own heart and he was living against his values. Now I'm not saying everyone who is depressed is living against their values. and That is not what I'm saying. But sometimes our depression and our anxiety, our guilt, and our shame is because we have done something that we know we should not do. That is not pleasing to God. And believe me, what did God do to David? He sent someone to confront him. So some of you here this morning, 
you may be living against your values and you're experiencing depression or anxiety. God may let you sit for a little while. I think for David, it's several months. But eventually God's going to confront you and I. But look what David, when, when David was confronted, what did he say? I have sinned. And you know what happened? Right there on the spot, Nathan says, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. God restored to him the joy of his salvation. David had hope. So God confronts us when we're living against our values and then when we are failing to set clear boundaries. Look at uh, Exodus 18, verses 13 to 23. Uh, The next day Moses took his seat. And remember, the children of Israel, if you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments, they leave Egypt and they're in the desert going to the promised land and it takes some time to get there. Well, the next day, it says in Scripture, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Why do you alone sit as judge? Why all these people standing around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will whenever they have a dispute. It is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And then he tells them what to do. He tells them to appoint judges. And then verse 22, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses was on a track to burnout. I don't know if you've ever been so overwhelmed, so many responsibilities, so many people to care for, and you were... Just run, you run out of steam. You didn't have any more to give. That's where Moses was getting to the point. But thankfully, God sent someone to Moses to point this out. And Moses was wise enough to listen. Do you know a lot of times uh, when we are stressed out and depressed and anxious, you know why? Because we are failing to set boundaries. We don't set clear boundaries with the people in our lives. Uh, You and I, we cannot help everyone. You can't. And even with the people that you love, you know, you cannot help them all the time. If we are taking on more responsibility than we should, if we are enabling our family, our friends, our co-workers. If we are enabling other people, God sees. And he's going to eventually confront us. And just like Moses, when we listen and we stop enabling others and start maintaining clear boundaries, we won't feel so overwhelmed. We will feel more hopeful. 
So God shows us compassion. God uh, confronts us. And last, God comforts us. God comforts us when we are being troubled. God comforts us when we are being troubled. Look at the 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 6. It's on the screen. For when, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than, than ever. So the Apostle Paul is saying he did not have any rest. You know, he was used to being persecuted. He'd been stoned, he'd been beaten, he'd been arrested. Just all these terrible things. But here in this particular situation, it wouldn't stop. You know what that is. I mean, yeah, you have one, something breaks down at your house. Okay, you can handle it, get it fixed. But something breaks down, and then your car breaks down, and then somebody gets sick, and then there's all, you, you feel like, I hear this all the time, I can't take anymore, Pierre. I can't take anymore. At the right time for Paul, what had happened? Titus comes along. And isn't there something about having a friend come alongside of you at just the right time? It doesn't take your suffering away, but it makes you feel like you're going to get through it. Uh, and do, you, do you think that's an accident when someone comes along, just happens to knock on your door, just happens to call you, just happens to send you a text. Just happens to say, hey, let's grab lunch. You think that's an accident? That's no accident. That's the Lord. God comforts us when we are being troubled, and he comforts us when we are experiencing loss. Look at Luke 22, 39 through 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Notice verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I like this. I found this in the San Diego Christian Counseling website. It says the word comfort can be broken down into two parts, with and strength. God wants to be with you in your sorrow to offer you his mighty strength which will help you get through your loss. He will help you through the days, the weeks, the months, and years ahead with his strength. My, you can tell John MacArthur is one of my favorite pastors, and he talks about the word comfort. And he says, not this idea of like, oh, I'm just chilling, I'm laying back on the couch, relaxing, got my snacks, got my Netflix. No, 
That's not comfort. He says the word is from a Latin word called fortis. Pastor and I were talking about this, and it means brave. Comfort is not a synonym, John MacArthur says, is not a synonym for ease, softness, a settled feeling. It is a synonym for courage, bravery, strength. He didn't say God came to, ga- came to me and gave me a cushy life. He's saying God came to me in the middle of my trouble and gave me strength. He came to me and gave me courage. He gave me boldness. He made me brave. In fact, God is the source of all comfort. God is the ultimate source of every act of true comfort. And apart from God, there is no true comfort. Of all the things that can cause us depression and anxiety, I think loss is the most challenging. Losing a spouse, losing a child, losing a parent, or even losing a friend. But, when there, are, but there are other losses besides death. You can lose a relationship. You can lose a job. You can lose your health. You can lose your security. You can lose your sense of who you are. When we experience great loss, we can begin to wonder if we will make it, if we'll be able to move on. Depression and anxiety rob us of our hope and strength. But thank God, he does not leave us to our own devices. He offers us comfort. He offers us his strength. So just to, by way of application, I want you to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. And in Sunday school, we uh, read this verse. Some of this is part of a passage we read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Did you notice something about how God shows us compassion? How God confronts us? How God comforts us? He always used a person. He always used a person. Uh, if you are experiencing depression, anxiety, uh, grief, you say, oh, God's my comforter. I don't need, oh no, I don't need, I don't need to go talk to a friend. I don't need to talk to the pastor. I don't need to go to a therapist. God's my comforter. I have a reality check for you. God uses people. You know, uh, um, if you're having car problems, got a brand new car, it's already having problems, uh, who are you going to turn to for help? You're going to ask your neighbor, Joe, hey, Joe, <laughs> can you come help me fix my car, my brand new car? Now, Joe, he may know a lot about cars, but my guess is you're probably going to take it to the dealership. Uh, 
people who know that I'm a therapist, they often talk to me when they uh, are experiencing mental health issues or they have a loved one who is experiencing mental health issues. And let me say this loud and clear. No, I cannot see you for therapy. <laughs> no, I cannot. You cannot be my client. I know you already. It would not be a good, that, that would be unethical, okay? Uh, but I did want to close this series by giving you some basic information. If you are thinking about talking to someone about your depression, uh, anxiety, you have a marital issue or a family issue, I want to show you something. There are uh, three main kinds of mental health professionals. So, first of all, there's a counselor or a, thera or a therapist. And these are people who have a master's degree and they provide counseling only. Uh, next, you have a psychologist, he's a PhD. They're usually called doctor, Dr. Susan, Dr. whatever. And uh, they do counseling, but they can also do psychological testing. And then is a psychiatrist, is a medical doctor who can prescribe medication. So these are the kinds, so, so people get this confused, oh, Dr. Mata, no, 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 I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a PhD, I'm just a, you call me Pierre. That's, that, that's my name, call me Pierre, or Mr. Mata. A uh, psychologist would be a doctor, and this is when the problem might require more intensive investigation. And then, of course, the psychiatrist is going to offer you medication for depression, for anxiety, whatever you might be feeling. You say, well, how do you, how do you pay for these? So I have some information on how you pay for this. Well, first of all, if you have health insurance, most health insurance plans, you can pay for your, um, uh, they'll pay, your, you have to pay a copay, but they will pay for a therapist. Uh, and this is good. A lot of companies have something called an employee assistance program. These are free sessions. So you say, oh, I want to pay $50 of my copay. I want to pay for therapy. Uh, what if it's free? A lot of, they'll give you three sessions. I've had some that give like eight sessions. I'm like, man, you'll be done by then. You won't need to come that much. Uh, more than eight sessions. Uh, some people, and if you ever had to pay out of pocket, believe me, is not cheap to pay. Although there are some agencies like mine, who I work for, Family Houston, uh, where they do uh, sliding scale. It's based on your household income and, um, and your, uh, the size of your household. So um, I was talking about the mountain, uh, the, the miners, and being trapped. And you say, oh, man, how do they make it 69, uh, 69 days? Well, first of all, they drilled a hole where they could put uh, food and different items into the little tube and send it down. And uh, uh, I was talking to Steve Vanderark. He, he works for NASA, or he's a con contractor with NASA. And he was part of the, of the team that worked on helping the miners survive while they were down there and they helped them with their diet and with the exercise and mental health stuff like that and so it's amazing that they that's one of the reasons that they lasted so long was because they were able to get them food while they worked on getting down to them they they made a hole about things 21 inches whatever in diameter that could fit um, 
this pod that they would stick down and they had to drill 2,300 feet so that the people, so that they could put someone, uh, the pod, so that they could bring the, the miners up. Uh, and you know what they had to do? They had to get somebody to go down in there. They had to have someone to get in the tube and go down in there. You know what that made me think of? The scripture says that Jesus ascended. He ascended, but what does that mean, that he first ascended? Jesus saw that we were in trouble, that we were in a desperate state, that we were going to die. And he came down. He came down to make a way where we could be saved if we simply put our trust in him. What a, what a beautiful metaphor. Well, a therapist, counselor, we follow in Christ's exams. I got to go down deep and listen to people grieve. I got to go down deep and listen to people who are struggling in their marriage. I got to go deep with people who are worried about their children, who are stressed out because of the pandemic, finances, whatever. That's what a therapist, that's what a counselor will do. A pastor can do that. And sometimes even a friend. But when that guy went down in there, <laughs> they had to accept his help. So I, I, I don't know if, what situation you are in. I don't know if you're depressed. I don't know if you're anxious. I don't know if, what's going on in your life, how you're feeling. But I'm telling God cares for you. And he is ready and willing and able to provide you with hope, hope, compassion. He'll confront you and then he will not only comfort you in the way you might think, but he will strengthen you and enable you to make it through whatever you're going through. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. You're the God of all comfort. And we've been talking, Lord, these past few weeks about how we can get lost in the dark. Lord, we thank you that the dark is not dark to you. And we know, Lord, that you are the God of hope and that you are ready to give us hope in the midst of whatever we are suffering. If it's our own fault, if it's circumstances beyond our control, Lord, you are ready and willing, Father, if we'll just turn to you, Father. And some of us, Lord, we need to have the courage to go and see someone that you've equipped and you've prepared and you've trained, Father, to help people with depression and anxiety and other issues, Lord. Give us the courage and the wisdom, Father, to find a Christian counselor or psychiatrist or psychologist, Father. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.